dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he be thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject only for wrath, also for conscience sake. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our name, the Unchanging Word, reflects the fact that the eternal Word of God is never changed and never will. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never The Unchanging Word Bible Study welcomes you to this lesson in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through chapter 13, verse 4. We will be listening to what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Gentile believers in Rome concerning taking one's own revenge and submission to the governing authorities. During the days of the Apostle Paul, the Emperor Nero was on the throne in Rome. Although he is not mentioned by name in Scripture, there is reference to him as being Caesar in Acts chapter 17 and Acts chapter 25, and the Lord Jesus appearing to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 27 verse 24 told Paul that he must stand before Caesar, but not to be afraid. Well, our lesson looks at both the responsibility of the Christian in society to not take their own revenge, but to leave it to God and the responsibility of the governing authorities to the citizens of that society in the world to provide protection from evil and commendation for doing what is good. Well, turn with us in your Bible to Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Again, it is our joy to come to you. We are dealing now with the practical side of a Christian's life. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, we've been dealing with what God does for his people. Now, from chapter 12 to the end of the book, we have what we, God's people, can do for God. We have a responsibility as children of God. That's why he leaves us on the earth. He wants his will to be made known to men. He wants the testimony of the gospel to go forth that men might experience his mercy and his grace and God has been pleased to use human instruments to do this. 
And everyone who's a Christian has a special place for service, for a walk before God, as long as they're on the earth. Now, in chapters 12 through 16 of Romans, he picks up our relationships or our responsibilities to other people and to movements. For example, in chapter 12, the first two verses, my relationship to God is demonstrated in practical living by a life of dedication to God that his will and purpose might be accomplished. And then from verse 3 right on down through verse 18, we've been dealing with the fact that every Christian is a member of the church, the body of Christ. Some have been specially gifted to do special work, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, prophecy, uh, ministry, teaching, exhortation, giving, ruling, showing mercy with cheerfulness. These are specialties in the church of Christ. And then from verse 9 through 18, there's something for every one of us to do, real real practical things for our lives. I shall not repeat them except to say that the very fact that you belong to the Savior means you have a special job to do for God while you're on the earth. You've got a special relationship to the body of Christ, the church. You've got a special relationship to other Christians as well as to the world. And it's high time that we Christians knew uh, and realized what God is wanting to do with us and through us as we're here on the earth among men. Have you found your place, for example, in the purpose and plan of God for the earth? It's got a special place for you. And the one thing every one of us Christians should do would be sure that we are in that place, first of all, of dedication to the Lord, where we've turned our lives over to him, and then as we walk day by day in simple, blessed trust, in communion and fellowship with him, then he begins to work out through us and in us his own good plan and purpose. You remember in Philippians 2, God worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Or as Paul could say to the Colossian church, I strive according to the working of him who worketh in me mightily. Or as he could say to the Galatian church in chapter 2, I no longer live, but Christ liveth in me. And in these verses, from verses 9 down to verse 18, he takes up various aspects of the life of a person on earth who loves the Savior. And I would suggest you read and reread that. And my friend, I don't care what your circumstances are, these were written for you and for me, unto whom the end of the age has come. Now, starting in at verse 19 and running through to the end of the chapter, there is given to us our relationship to our enemies or our responsibility to our enemies, verses 19 to 21. What is my attitude to be toward those who don't love me, don't like me, who's opposed to the ministry which you and I may do, opposed to our Christian faith? It's very common. It's very common. They call you kind of name, all kinds of names. It's a common thing. If you try to live as a Christian and please God, you're bound to receive some opposition of some kind. I don't run away from it. That's the last thing you should do, to run away from it. You remember in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18, where we have the warfare and the armor and the, and the weapons of the believer, there's no piece of armor for the back. It's 
for the head and the shoulders, the breastplate, and your loins girt about with truth, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and the shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit, nothing for your back. Let's face up to it. The moment you and I seek to live for God, in fact, I'll make this statement, the closer you walk to the Lord, and the more you seek to please him, the greater will be the opposition to you. Now you can expect that. We're living in a world that has no place for the Savior. So what is my relationship to be? Allow me to read these three verses at the end of chapter 12 of Romans. I read, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If, he th if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, it's very, very hard not to seek revenge. It's very difficult to leave everything to the Lord. You, you feel like saying to the Lord, Lord, hurry up. No. Again, may I re refer you to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 23. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we remember, Peter says, he left us an example. He left us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again but left all things to him who judgeth righteously. You see, you and I cannot judge righteously. We do not know all the facts involved. We do not know all the circumstances. But you can leave everything to the Lord, for it says here, it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And believe me, my friend, you can trust God to repay. Somebody has said, and I, I repeat this, that God can pay back personally and accurately. You and I can't. We generally go one way or the other. We generally go to, we're generally extremists. And if you have any enemies, you be kind to them. You may open their eyes. Your very kindness may open their eyes to their need of a Savior. Or... If I may add, it may increase their doom. I'm reminded of a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, at the end of the chapter where Paul says, Our message, we are a sweet savor unto God, both in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one, we are a savor of life unto life. To another, we are a savor of death unto death. And who was sufficient for these things? Paul could say in Corinthians chapter 118, the gospel of Christ is a thing of foolishness. The preaching of the cross is foolishness. To who? To those who do not believe. These who have, who judge themselves unworthy of eternal life. Preaching of the cross is to them that perish, to them that perish foolishness. And when you and I give forth our testimony, oftentimes we're hindered, we're opposed, and sometimes cursed. 
So what? So what? Bless them. Be cheerful. Uh, in some way, just manifest something of the grace and the mercy and patience of the Lord. And I want to tell you, my friend, and I speak from experience on this, it really works. When you begin, for example, it says in verse 20, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him a drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Indeed you do, you heap coals of fire on his head. And I've seen fellows be so ashamed of the things that they have said. Now what shamed them? If one had cursed them back or reviled them back, that would have meant increasing the heat for fight. But no, instead of reviling them and cursing them and retaliating, just bless them. Ask the Lord to bless them. What do you do? You make them ashamed of themselves, heaping coals of fire on his head. In other words, Paul is calling for a positive path for God. Instead of a negative attitude, bless them, curse not. This is what Paul is talking about here. And don't be overcome of evil. Don't let the evil overcome you, but rather just the opposite. Overcome evil with God. Now, this is your relationship to your enemies, to those who are opposed to the gospel. Now, we come to the fourth relationship uh, in, in Romans, and that's in chapter 13, 1 to 7, and this is our relationship to civil authorities. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, uh, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, you must needs be subject only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now, that's all I'm going to read for the moment. Our relationship to civil authority is taken in chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Uh, what shall I do when it comes to the question of my relationship as a Christian to present-day civil authorities? May I say that when, first of all, that when Paul wrote this passage, this tyrant called Nero was on the throne at Rome. He was the Caesar on the throne. I would say that he was a monster. He was a terrible, wicked man. In fact, you know, his mother, uh, Agrippina, his mother was very ambitious for Nero, for her son, and she got rid of every man who was in her way. No question she was a wicked woman. Agrippina was a really wicked woman. 
and she destroyed every one who was in the way of her son Nero being on the throne of Rome. But you know, the amazing thing was that after Nero came to the throne, he turned round and condemned his mother to death. And if I may quote to you what Agrippina said when the executioners came to kill her, and I quote, she said, Strike, level your rage against the womb which gave birth to such a monster. End of quotation. Here you, are, here you have extremely wicked, corrupt, vicious people in authority. And yet Paul writes to the Christians who are living under that authority, be subject to the powers that be. For there is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. Now, may I suggest this, in the first five verses, we ought to be subject to civil authority. Why? Because they're ordained of God. They receive their authority from God. Now, just a minute, let someone raise some questions. How they rule is not the question before us. Paul didn't, didn't bring up the question how Nero, with all his viciousness and his temper and his murder and his corruption, it was never brought up how he ruled. He's bringing up one fact, that the powers that be, civil authorities, are ordained of God, and they receive their authority from God. Allow me to give you an illustration. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 44, starting about verse 26 and running through chapter 45, verse 5. Here you have where God raised up a man by the name of Cyrus. Uh, he was the head of the Medo-Persian Empire. And he calls Cyrus his servant. Now, Cyrus was an idolater. Cyrus was corrupt. Yet God called him his servant. Why? because God gave him the authority so that through Cyrus the remnant went back uh, to Israel, to the land of Palestine. You remember they went back, um, uh, Zerubbabel, Ezra, uh, they went back and they, and they built the temple, then afterwards Nehemiah came and built uh, the walls of the city. I'm not going to go into that except the one thing, it's not that Cyrus was a saved man, but he was the minister of God in the sense that he was given the authority to be on the throne of the Medo and Persia Empire for the purpose of the liberation of the remnant of Israel in Babylon, and they went back and built their city and their temple. In that sense, he was a servant of God. His authority came from God. God established human government. For example, you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 9. After the flood, God gave to man the authority, the power to govern the world. I repeat it, how they govern is not in question. You and I may sit here today or we may discuss our present government or the last government or the future governments and we say we're not, we're not, we're not satisfied with it. Well, be that as it may, the power which they have as those who govern 
is from God. Their authority is from God. God established human government. But the tragedy is that today in the world, we've removed ourselves from the pattern which God gave to us in the book of Genesis concerning uh, ruling. And I sometimes wonder about that. Sometimes we may have contempt for civil authority. In fact, I'll make the statement that when one manifests contempt for civil authority, they're manifesting lawlessness. And they're against God. I'm saying very frankly, uh, God has arranged the authority for civil governments. And if the government is intolerable, well, you can go elsewhere. But as long as you live under the government, you are to be in subjection to that government. Uh, there are times, of course, in history we have where, where the Puritans left Europe. We have the Huguenots of France who left France. And you go down the line, we have those, the Pilgrim Fathers who came to this country. They were not satisfied with the government under which they lived. They didn't oppose the government, they just left. When you and I have manifest contempt for the government, I want to tell you that's lawlessness. We are, we are resisting the authority that God has given to men. And here I'm living in a day when people will thumb their nose at the government because they don't like what's going on. That may be true, but I have to recognize, I have to be subject to the government. Power, the authority, is ordained of God, not necessarily the method of government. I want to keep this in mind. And then in verses 3 to 4, why does God do that? It's for the common good, to keep down evildoers. And may I suggest this, that when criminals are freed, this is rebellion against government. When people are sympathetic, and quite often, murderers are sympathized with more than the objects of their crime. This is sin. This is rebellion against the thing which God has given to man. And even, we've even gone so far today as to say that sin is a disease and we should sympathize with it. Instead of condemning it, we should sympathize with it. My friend, I'll say very bluntly, this is rebellion against God. And this is why Rome went down to destruction. They, they rebelled against the authority that God gave, and the result was it became soft, and the hordes came from the north and destroyed Rome. And I feel that we Christians ought to pray today for our government as Christians that we should at least abide by our government. And if the government doesn't suit us, we have the opportunity uh, to vote. But as long as we are under authority as Christians, we are to obey our government. We're Christians. Whether it's just or whether it's unjust is not the question. They've been ordained of God for the keeping down of evildoers. And God holds them responsible concerning this. We'll continue this in our next lesson.
I want this very clear. We are Christians, children of God living in a world, and God has ordained government for the keeping down of evildoers. Tomorrow he comes for me. He comes, he comes. Tomorrow he comes for me. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.